Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Armando Salguero will join us in 20 minutes. We'll dive deeper into the big NFL headlines and preview the top games uh, for Saturday and Sunday. The divisional round kicks off Saturday with Jacksonville and KC. Um, so close, Hutton. We're so close. I know. To the weekend. So close. Four really good games, too. This week has felt excruciatingly long. You think so? Yes. I feel like today should be Saturday. Not just Friday. <laughs> I feel like we should be watching divisional playoff games right now. As we sit here, I feel like games the game should have should just be kicked off now. in the late afternoon on uh, on Saturday. That's where I feel like we should be this week. Greg Roman is out as the offensive coordinator in Baltimore uh, after four seasons. Uh, a stint that included Lamar Jackson winning MVP and seeing some great things come about through an offense that was built around their quarterback. And now the question is with Roman stepping down and he, he says he's on to do other things. It doesn't specifically say if he's uh, going to immediately get back into coaching. My guess is yes. Uh, but his statement was after visiting with coach Harbaugh and huddling with my family, I've decided now's the right time to move on from the Ravens so that I can explore new challenges and opportunities. Chad, this immediately brings up, well, what does this mean for Lamar Jackson? And at a presser, the end-of-season presser that uh, teams have where you've got the GM and head coach available, uh, both Eric DaCosta, the general manager in Baltimore, and John Harbaugh said that not only do they want Lamar back, they are eager, DaCosta says, we're eager to get contract talks and extensions going again where they left off from the preseason. Of course, the speculation was whenever he didn't travel with the team to Cincinnati that we were seeing the split happen right before our eyes. And turns out that they're just pointing to the injury and they're saying, yeah, we want Lamar here and Lamar wants to be here based on conversations they've had with him. Well, we'll find out because I think this, this takes another turn towards demands that Lamar, who represents himself, is going to make versus what the organization is going to be willing to put up. And based on availability, Chad, the last two years that you've pointed to, it's not going to be what Lamar Jackson wants in terms of the guaranteed money. I, it's hard to jump to a conclusion. Normally with a story like this, you immediately, we're going to get to another one where you can immediately kind of draw mm -hmm. a quick knee-jerk conclusion to, okay, this happening signifies this is coming next or that this might be a problem. Bruce Arians out in Tampa a year ago immediately was, well, Tom Brady must not get along with Bruce Arians, and now he's out, and he likes someone else better, so he's going to be the guy. Greg Roman being out with the Ravens, given the Lamar Jackson situation and the fact that he's now a free agent, Hutton, I can't really draw a quick conclusion to that because – I don't know what Lamar Jackson, what he thinks about Greg Roman. I know they've worked together for a while. I know they've had a lot of success together as a, a duo, but without knowing what their personal relationship is like 
whether or not Lamar Jackson thinks that Greg Roman's holding him back or the offense back. I don't know all those factors. So I guess initially you could say, well, this doesn't probably look great for him coming back to Baltimore, given the guy that the last four years has been his OC is not there. But I don't know because I don't know what Lamar Jackson thinks about Greg Roman. I, I do get every indication based on comments and everything else that the whole didn't travel with the team and all this is overblown mm-hmm. and that the Ravens absolutely want Lamar Jackson back. And the thing, so in 2019, Greg Roman's offense averaged 33 points per game. It dropped to about 22 this past season and it's declined every year. But some of that decline has to be uh, attributed to, uh, I think, much of it. Either Lamar Jackson being injured, which we've seen the last two years over the final five games of the regular season, and the fact, Chad, that they traded away their offensive talent that wasn't in the backfield. They've loaded up at tight end. They're very good in that area. But they trade away the stars that would have made this offense far more explosive on the outside. Hollywood Brown... But um, then they who but, else am I missing? But they, they haven't. Got rid of? They haven't truly invested in that, and they were na- never able to complement what they were doing so well with the run game, on top of exploring more options in the pass game. And then you know some of that people point to. Well, Lamar Jackson's not good in that area. Whenever he they would let it rip. I mean, he was putting up some pretty big passing numbers in stretches within that offense itself. I would also say it's really tough to just be excellent at everything. I mean, they have an excellent rush, rushing attack with Jackson and Dobbins and what they can do in the run game. They've got an excellent tight end in Mark Andrews. I, I can't point to many teams across the league that they're not somewhat deficient in one facet right. of their offense, even with the great passing. I mean, I, I look at Buffalo. They don't have great running backs you know, or a great running game when it comes to just handing the ball off. Even the great teams in the NFL are deficient in one thing, so... I get what you're saying, and they certainly haven't done enough to help him on the outside uh, with what they've lost, but I don't know many teams that can do everything that well. The Bucks' offense didn't do much well at all. Um, could not run it. Worst run offense in, in the NFL this past season. Byron Leftwich, despite that, had the highest rate of first down runs of any offensive coordinator, among the highest, I should say, uh, where he would put Tampa's offense in a really bad position from the jump, you're facing second and long. Uh, left, which is out, officially fired. Speculation whenever we started the week was he was going to be out um, whenever we uh, came back on Tuesday. They did not uh, make that official through the organization until today. But at this time last year, he was one of the, the hot coaching candidates, including in Jacksonville, where they ultimately end up with Doug Peterson. But left, which was discussing, um, he was discussing, let's see, Jacksonville, New Orleans. Didn't he take his name out of Jacksonville? Uh, Well, he wanted to bring certain people. Like, it was the general manager uh, discussion. He wanted certain people to come with him. And I believe it was Adrian Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, from Arizona, which is where Leftwich got his coaching start with Arians before going uh, to Tampa. And uh, I don't think anyone's surprised by this. I am surprised of how quickly he fell off the radar as a head coaching commodity, now just looking for another opportunity to join another staff. It's crazy how quickly that that fell apart. From the hottest head coaching yeah. candidate to reports that he's being picky about an NFL head coaching job to a year later, that offense completely crashing and burning and him now out of a job uh, with, with the Bucks. I think he's going to get hired somewhere else quickly. 
I don't think he's going to have a hard time finding a job in the NFL. But it is crazy to think about. I felt like a year ago when all the Bruce Arian stuff happened, it was, oh, well, maybe this is Tom Brady making a play for his guy, Byron Leftwich, to, oh, no, uh, a year later after one more season, Byron Leftwich is going to be fired. Didn't see that coming. Um, so, if tr- anything, I thought it would be Byron Leftwich taking Todd Bowles' job after one yeah. year, if there was going to be some swap that happened. And now we wait. Uh, there's uh, some discussion about who the next OC will be in Tampa. Um, I believe Todd Munk- Munkin has been mentioned there already. Good. Get him out of the SEC. Yeah. Get him out of college football. Yeah. I think everyone that's a fan of anyone not named Georgia is rooting for any type of coaching staff upheaval there because that is a well-oiled machine that is going nowhere anytime soon. And I brought that up about their continuity. Will Muschamp on defense and then 64-year-old Munkin on offense that you don't think he's going to leave to be a head coach anytime soon. Maybe this is an opportunity to get back in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence doesn't think that uh, Arrowhead is going to be much louder than Jacksonville was last week. But this, this story out of uh, KC where Lawrence has made the comments about Arrowhead, if you actually read through everything that he was saying, you can pull one quote and say, I can't imagine Arrowhead will be much louder. What he, he goes on to make statements that reaffirm that Arrowhead is among the loudest stadiums in the NFL and it is going to present a massive challenge. But Chad, this is the classic case of a fan base and a team, and I would do this too if I were them, stirring up their fans to try to prove a point that much more this week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great compliment to his own fans in Jacksonville. You know, whenever anything happens like this with a comparison, I, I, don't, um, I don't overreact too much because it's just a good opportunity for Trevor Lawrence to act like, man, it was loud in Jacksonville last week. I don't think it's going to be much louder. Our fans are great. I can't imagine a situation being much louder. Now, if Trevor Lawrence came out and said – I don't think Arrowhead in the playoffs is going to be any different than Houston during the regular season. <laughs> now, that is a diss. Yeah, we've that been on the road is, before. That is bulletin board ready. That is headline ready. That is flat-out disrespectful of Trevor Lawrence. I don't think this is anything to get worked up over simply because he's comparing the visitors to his own home stadium. Obviously, the environment and atmosphere we're going to play in is one of, if not the best in the NFL. That's how he starts the quote. And then he goes on to say, I can't imagine it's going to be much louder than our fans were here on Saturday, honestly, but that was when we were on defense, not offense. We played there earlier in the year, but this is a little bit different. It's a playoff game, divisional round, so the stakes are higher. So I expect them to be even crazier, more packed stadium. That's the quote. That's exactly... This is great selective quote-taking to fire up a team or a fan base a little bit. That's a good job to cut that off after there. Cut off the preface to it with... Boy, this is one of the best atmospheres in all of football, but it's not going to be much different than our home. But also, I was on offense when that was <laughs> happening. I mean, they really chopped off a lot of that quote with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence doesn't strike me as a dude that's ever going to completely say, step on his own comments. Yeah. You know, he's very good about You're right. knowing what to say. By the I, way, I don't think he's ever going to find himself in a controversy. One of the, I've only, I went to all but three NFL stadiums and. KC, I have not been to Seattle. KC was by far the loudest NFL stadium that I was on the sidelines for. And it was by freezing. Far. I feel like every time you've yeah, been we, there, it is uh, yeah, below zero. Seven or eight times, and it's always extremely cold. Uh, or we're there for the preseason. 
but it was loud for preseason games there. I mean, that that's the most college-like atmosphere in the NFL. Kansas City fans. I think uh, I, I put Buffalo up there. Buffalo I've, not, I've not been to KC as a fan. I've been there in the press in the the media area, the press box. So it's hard to compare the two. I will say, just having been, you're right though. It's very collegiate because it's just an enormous parking lot. It's almost like you're on a college campus. Mm-hmm. In Buffalo, though, I'll always say it's the most collegiate of environments because you're literally on a college campus. Well, they back up to a junior college. And the tailgating. And there's trees around, and there's huge parking lots all around. The tailgate deal is a, a big deal. It's very small. You know, There's no skyline around you when you're in Buffalo. Same goes for KC because you're so far from downtown. But it, it's, it's, it's similar but different. I, I would say I'd give a slight edge to Buffalo – being a little bit more of a college environment, but Kansas City is spectacular too. The the underrated stadium, at least for me, was Ford Field in Detroit. No no one talks about how loud that place gets, and I was there whenever both teams sucked on that given <laughs> Sunday, and it was extremely loud. Now imagine Detroit next year if they actually get off to a good start for yeah. once. What if the Lions are five and one to start the year after the finish they just had, and that place will be rocking? You want to talk about a starving? Fan base. We saw this in Cleveland when Baker Mayfield got them a playoff win and they were suddenly relevant again. That was a fun place. I didn't go to any games there, but just to watch a game on television in Cleveland was a blast with the crowd noise and the desperation Mm -hmm. from the fan base, the hunger. You're going to see that with Detroit if they're any good next year. Chargers head coach Brandon Staley kept his job. He says he never felt his job was in jeopardy. Chad, I, I take that to mean that confirms the reports that they weren't going to fire him based on the monetary issues going on within the organization, uh, not having the funds to jump out, pay, a, pay him, pay the staff, and then also pay the new incoming coach top dollar. The speculation was Sean Payton. Staley says his job was never in jeopardy. It will be if they run it back the same way that they did this year and you know, make the playoffs, but lose out in that fashion. I wish a coach, it's happened very few times in history. I wish a coach would just acknowledge. Hot seat. I'm on the hot seat this year. Like, just say it. You know, I, I love this team. I love this locker room. We got to deliver. It's on me first. I'm the head coach. Just put that pressure on you. It doesn't matter what you say or don't say. If, they, if they're not good next year or they don't win a playoff game, he's probably getting fired a year from now. So just say it. Just go ahead and, and put that pressure on you and take some of it off your team. I'd respect the heck out of that. If a coach just flat out open the season saying, this year is my year. I'm on the hot seat going into this year. We got to win and win big Play this season. Play off a pink slip for me this year. Just say it. I mean, I, I think that would serve as a great motivator for your team. If, if it's true that all these guys love him and Justin Herbert went to bat for him and other leaders on the team, Austin Eckler, if that's the case, lay it all out there. This is, my, this is it for me this year. This is the one. I'm, it's a hot seat year, and I have so much faith in this team and what we're doing this offseason and what we're going to do this year that I'm not worried about it. We're going to go out there, and we're going we're gonna to play our best. I also laughed when he was asked if he felt like he was outcoached by Doug Peterson, and he kind of said, well, I don't think I was outcoached in the first half. In the first half. <laughs> in the second half, yes. True, yeah. Coming up. Tell we'll, the two halves this game of football. We'll get uh, Armando Salguero's uh, response to – what we just discussed with Brandon Staley. We also preview the matchups for this coming weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And like, Chad, Hutton, I can't be asked to coach well two halves. Of no, football. just one. All right, let's just, just put one. that out. I don't know what you guys expect from me as the head coach, but it's coaching that well for two halves is not going to happen very often. 
And with Greg Roman out in Baltimore, what does that mean for, for Lamar? Uh, Armando weighs in next, and now kick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. I'm not a big fan of Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Staley uh, eventually will show us and, and will show us that some guys were meant to be coordinators and some guys are meant to be head coaches. He's got a long way to go before we can say that he's meant to be a head coach. I'll kick 360 rolls on. That's Armando Salguero from last week as we were previewing the Los Angeles Chargers matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know how that game ended up at 31-30. And we say hello to Armando Salguero, Outkick.com's NFL rider. Shot caller. Well, well done there. And I uh, can't wait to uh, go ahead and go straight to Vegas with your next uh, proclamation, Armando. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm going to go get in my car now and take a victory lap. <laughs> Uh, you know, a vroom, vroom, Brandon Staley does Brandon Staley. Guys, it's not, it, it, it's not hard to tell you who people are in the head coaching uh, business. And when they are who we think they are, <laughs> you know, we see what happens uh, in, in games like the Jaguars and Obviously, the Los Angeles Chargers, terrible. Just awful. Armando, based on Staley saying, you know, well, when he was asked if he was outcoached by Peterson, he said, certainly wasn't outcoached in the first half. Based on a guy saying that, I doubt he's going to do this, but we just got done talking about this. I'd love it if Brandon Staley just came out before next season and said, you know what? I am on the hot seat. This is a huge year for me. We, we need to improve. We need to win big this year. And I'm confident in this team, and we're going to go out and do it. You have nothing to lose because you're going to get fired if you don't meet expectations anyways a year from now. So just saying it's not going to change anything. I would really respect a coach that came out and said that before a season. Right. Um, I'd also respect a coach who just blew a 27-point lead yes. and would put it on himself. Yep. Because he is a defensive coach. And yet his comments after that game were kind of looking towards what the offense didn't do. 
in the second half. And lo and behold, they fired their offensive coordinator. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Dude, your defense that was very good in the first half was very terrible in the second half. And yeah, you had three interceptions in the first half. You gave up four touchdown passes in the second half. So a little, a little, you know, staring into the mirror perhaps is called for a little introspection. I, 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 I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. Armando Salguero with us on Outkick 360. Wink Martindale left Baltimore last year. Today we learned that Greg Roman is leaving his offensive coordinator this year. What do you make of Roman's departure, Armando, and how does it tie into Lamar Jackson and the negotiations moving forward? Right. It's interesting what Harbaugh has done uh, the last couple of years with his coordinators because both of those guys, both of them, are very accomplished. They're outstanding. And we know that Martindale has never really been on the uh, head coach hiring carousel, but that guy is amazing. And the New York Giants defense, which lacks cornerbacks that anyone is afraid of, the secondary is kind of mix and match. And yet here they are in the divisional round of the playoffs, and they're just great. Uh, They did a very good job against one Kirk Cousins the other day. Greg Roman was given a quarterback two years ago, three years ago, that was a not a very good quarterback. He was basically a, a, a run, you know, type of quarterback that a lot of teams thought needed to be a wide receiver. And he turned him into an MVP candidate and a stud. And someone who is asking for a contract that is 100% guaranteed and worth over $250 million, a quarter of a billion, B, Mm. billion dollars is what Lamar Jackson wants. And the reason he can want that and no one stops is because Greg Roman helped to develop him. And the fact that Now the Baltimore Ravens have decided, well, you know, we've got the greatest run game scheme in the NFL and the guy who schemed it up isn't, shouldn't, probably shouldn't be here. I I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, Look, this year, the, the Ravens, they struggled early in the year on defense. They gave up a lot of leads. They blew some games because of those leads. I would say to you, Wink Martindale's defense in Baltimore wouldn't have done that. So the same way they had growing pains this year after losing Martindale, they're going to have growing pains on offense next year after losing Roman. Which one seed has the has the better chance of coming out a bit sluggish this weekend? Is it Philly or Kansas City? Yeah, so... Well, you know, obviously both of them been off, uh, what, 14 days now when they play. Um, look, I just have very high regard and respect for Andy Reid. Uh, I also love the fact that he has a play in the playbook where 
the playmakers are in a circle and they go and they, they that was twirl awesome. around. <laughs> it's like, how can you not love this dude? Uh, and, you know, their quarterback does acrobatic things with passes. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles maybe are more likely to stumble and bumble early on if they're going to do that uh, this weekend, more likely than definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's flip that a little bit, and I'll ask you, with both number one seeds and their opponent, which of the two opponents is most likely to come out and play great and either win or give that number one seed a fight for their life in this game between the Giants and the Jags? Well, the Giants already gave the Eagles kind of a fight uh, the final game of the season, and the Giants weren't playing all of their players. The Giants were already, you know, locked into making the playoffs. The Eagles were were as well, but uh, they played their starters. The Giants didn't early on, and it was a close game. And so one assumes that once the Giants get all their guys on there and in there and we're going back to coaching right Brian Dayball I I think I shared this last week he was the guy that I voted for coach of the year I I have a lot of respect for him he's done more with less than than most and I just think that the Giants what they did in Minnesota last week what they've done all season long which has been improbable and oftentimes surprising, you know, you just, after a while, it's not a surprise that they, they show up and they play hard and they don't make mistakes and they're disciplined and they're hard to beat. So I'm going to expect that from the New York Giants. Cincinnati invested quite a bit in the offensive line, Armando, and they improved greatly. The problem now is they're down three of their starters (laughs) as they go to Buffalo this week and you know, they've got offensive line issues and questions. Buffalo does not have Von Miller. And how do you think that matchup goes? Who do you favor given the fact that we've seen Joe Burrow win with a lot less in front of him? So I was at the bills versus Bengals game that was ultimately canceled. And at the start of that game, the Bengals were just, they were tearing up the Bills. Uh, It it gets forgotten, basically, because of what happened next, which was DeMar Hamlin collapsed of a cardiac arrest. But up until that moment happened, there was a clear, better team in that game, and it was the Bengals. Having said that, as you bring up, The offensive line is not full go. It's not two-thirds full go, two-fifths full go. The Bengals with Joe Burrow, you know, their bad offensive line last year, they were in the Super Bowl. (laughs) So they're back to the same situation. Okay. Joe Burrow knows how to handle that situation. And I'm not saying it's it's optimal because obviously it isn't. But I get the feeling that they feel like they can manage these issues. 
Um, and with Jonah Williams, I'm not sure that it's permanent. So if they continue to advance, you know, we'll see him again is my understanding. No. Yeah, I would think so. And Armando, it's, it's interesting. You were, you're there covering this story with DeMar Hamlin. You you were there the night it happened. You were there throughout the week. You were there for the bills next game. And we're all sort of learning as we go with all this, but unless I've missed it, I, I haven't heard any reports or any information coming from doctors or DeMar Hamlin's camp or the Bills' camp on what exactly happened. We've heard about his status. We've heard about him back in the facility and everything else, but I don't know if anyone's asking the question anymore. We had doctors on speculating about what it could have been or probably was, but we haven't heard any update on what exactly happened that night to DeMar Hamlin. Well, it was asked, but doctors are not at liberty to divulge the medical information of their patients unless the patients uh, explicitly allow them to do so. And DeMar Hamlin, who is obviously allowed to divulge his medical information, hasn't spoken. And so until someone who has permission or Hamlin himself or one of his family members decides to go there, we're kind of in a lurch. I know that there's a lot of theories out there of what it is. Let's just say this. DeMar Hamlin is 24 years old, okay? And he's had he had a physical at the combine. He's had all the players get physicals at the beginning of the year. They are all able to go to the trainers anytime that they have any sort of uh, issue whatsoever. And this came out of the blue. That's not normal. Okay. Um, as you guys probably know, I had a heart attack in 2020, but I'm not 24 years old and a prime of his life, super uh, athletic, you know, in shape athlete as, as Quite the opposite, right? Go ahead, say it. Quite the opposite. Uh, you're so you're saying it, Armando. Reasons. I'm not going to say it for you. you. You're saying it. You're saying it. <laughs> so there were reasons that that what happened to me happened, and Bacon had a lot to do with that, <laughs> and, and you know, uh, spaghetti had a lot to do with that, and looking at the treadmill and ignoring it for years on end had a lot to do with that. This guy is not that. So it's just stunning that that it would happen to him. I think that's part of the story, obviously. But until he talks about it, I doubt anyone else will. Should this game be on a neutral field? That's being discussed. Um, given that we didn't see the matchup finish, they didn't midway through the first quarter. Was that uh, an option for the league, or was it specifically to the AFC Championship game only? It was specific to the AFC Championship game, and the Ravens and the Bengals had had the Bengals lost the season finale to Baltimore, and then they would have both had the same record and had split uh, their games. Um, and not the same record, but the Bengals wouldn't have had a, a better record, but they had split their games. The thing is that the Bengals beat the Ravens, and so, you know, they they swept the Ravens, and so that game was in Cincinnati. If you're asking me, do I think that 
this game this weekend should be on a neutral field? No. I mean, they both had the same number of games and the, the bills had the better record. So I don't see where I, I, I've not heard anything out of Cincinnati where they say, Hey, this should be on a neutral field. And, you know, I kind of don't really like neutral field. It's very mm-hmm. college Yes. And I, I, for one, am not hoping that we see KC in Buffalo. I like the matchup, but I, I'd rather have a home field advantage in that AFC championship game. And normally it doesn't go down to chalk, so more than likely we'll be talking about a home field advantage in the AFC title game. Let's flip. Let, let's discuss the game out west with San Francisco hosting Dallas. And all of a sudden, the weight is off of Mike McCarthy. Dak Prescott has the game of his season, one of the best of his career. And it came at a great time where the Cowboys now have some momentum. Meanwhile, speaking of momentum, that's exactly how to describe the San Francisco 49ers. What's the deciding factor in this game on Sunday? It's going to be what it has been for the 49ers for weeks. Does Brock Purdy play like... Joe Mont, you know, a second coming of Joe Montana or Tom Brady in 2020, or at some point, do we see the reasons why he was a seventh round draft pick and not just a seventh round draft pick, but the last guy selected in the entire draft? I've seen no evidence of why he went last in that draft. Uh, I, 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 he, he goes through his progression super fast. He has the moxie. He has control of the huddle. He recognizes defenses pre-snap. This is a rookie. He's not supposed to do this. That's not allowed. And yet, the guy is doing it. His arm is good. Not great. He's not, you know, Josh Allen or somebody like that. But it's good. And again... I have seen no evidence of why he was the Mr. Irrelevant. He hasn't had that moment. And I'm wondering, we're going to go one of two ways here. Either he's never going to have that moment, and we're going to go into next year and the following year, and he's going to be on a track of really good player, whoever once in a while has a setback, but not that often. Or, you know... The pump, the the carriage is going to turn into a pumpkin, and the mice are going to come out, and, and they're not horses anymore. And now the shoe doesn't fit. So it's going to happen at some point, or Brock Purdy is just the next Tom Brady. Armando, what shoe is going to fit for Sean Payton with his next NFL team? What's going to happen with that? Well, if ownership in <laughs> with the Los Angeles Chargers was major league, he would be the head coach of that team. But it's not, and so he won't. Um, let's see. He is – Carolina has has asked for permission to speak with him, correct? Yes, yep. and that's uh, apparently happening later this week, right? Or tomorrow. Correct. Right. Uh, which is later this week. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So – he's he's on the on the books there uh arizona wants to speak with him and and they've all kind of spoken to him they want a full-blown interview with him 
Uh, who's the other one? There's a third one, and I'm I'm Denver. Mine, Denver. Correct. To me, to me, the Denver situation makes a lot of sense for him because he's got a quarterback that needs help now. He's got a quarterback who has lost his way, and Sean Payton knows how to fix quarterbacks and knows how to hide the flaws of his quarterbacks. And if the quarterback happens to be only like six foot, six foot one, and on the back end, he's been there and done that. And people forget that defense in Denver is playoff caliber. They're not good. They're they're championship good when they're healthy, even without Bradley Chubb. So to me, that seems like the best fit for him, um, whether that happens or not. Oh, by the way, they're owned by the Walmart heirs who can afford to buy, you know, to redo the Louisiana purchase if they wanted to, <laughs> if the United States ever wanted to, like, you know, have a scar in the middle. They're more liquid but than Charter's ownership, is what we're saying. Also. A little bit, yes. They can afford anything, in- including human beings. And, <laughs> and Sean Payton is one of those that they can afford. I'm intrigued, too, about the the price tag that the Saints are going to require or ask for because once he selects his team, that's when the negotiation goes down. And, and every team's different. So, like, Denver traded away their first-round picks this year and next year, right, for Russell Wilson, first and second round, I believe. Um, Carolina is in the division, which is intriguing. Meanwhile, Houston, if he chooses to go to Houston, Houston has the picks, but he's not guaranteed necessarily the quarterback he wants because they pick two and not one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, would, would the Saints trade him within the division? Uh, I, I believe that they would. I believe that they would. I believe that they would hold Carolina to a higher standard okay. than they hold, say, Denver, who, by the way, does have a first-round pick because they got it from Miami for Bradley Chubb. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So they would trade that right. away. Gotcha. So uh, well, th- that's the uh, destination then because they can afford the price tag and his price tag. But here's the thing. So that there's, as you guys know, there's a dis- difference between asking price and selling price, right? The New Orleans asking price is a mid to late first round pick. I don't think that every team that is interested in in Sean Payton will say, okay, <laughs> you know, there you go. But it is- I think that there's a negotiation involved, yeah. and it could end up that it's not necessarily a first-round pick. Maybe it's a second and another second next year. Maybe it's a second and a third. It, there's always a negotiation that happens. And I get it. Sean Payton is is the guy right now. He is the the hot commodity, and he's probably worth a first round pick. Yeah, but, yeah. And sometimes, I, and he's doing he's kind of doing the negotiation for them in a way, right? Because he's they're granting permission for him to speak, but he's going on coward saying, "Yeah, the asking price is going to be a mid to late first round pick." And I spoke with Mickey Loomis about it. So I think up front, when he sits down with these teams, they kind of know what they're going to have to pay. Sure, until the person that's going to have to pull the trigger gets involved. And again, it, it makes sense. If, if you're Sean Payton 
and you're going to Denver and you've got one first round pick, are you eager to give that up for yourself to the other guy? No, you want to keep it if you can. And so he's going to allow, you know, his new team, whoever that is, if indeed he goes somewhere to, to try to talk that down a little bit, negotiate. Which team do you ultimately think he goes to? You think he picks Denver? I think that if he goes somewhere, that would be the place to go. Um, you, you mentioned Houston. They have a lot of picks <laughs> because they traded away a quarterback and they got three first-round picks for him. Um, and so... There's also another Pitt short probably, quarterback to work with that they could draft if they trade up one spot. And that's Bryce Young. I've, I've thought about that with Houston being the next Drew Brees, possibly, for Sean Payton. That's absolutely true. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, I thought about this a little bit. Houston is sitting there at number two. It's, it would be painful for them to have to trade up to number one to get their guy. It w- it's, that would be a painful move. Thank you, Lovey Smith. Because... It, it ultimately could cost them another first round pick to go up one spot. Why? Because some other team that values Bryce Young might, might do whatever they need to do to get to number one. But my guess is that it's easier to go from one to two and still get like a second rounder or maybe a future first, like two years, three years down the road, than it is, you know, to to go to like 10 or 12. And now you, you may not have that many guys on your board that you're happy picking. Armando Salguero, read his work, outkick.com, covering all things NFL. It's going to be a great weekend of football, the division around traditionally, uh, top to bottom, the most competitive of any NFL weekend. Armando, we're looking forward to it. Enjoy the games, and we'll catch up next week. Thank you, gentlemen. There he is. Armando Salguero, soothsayer on all things Brandon Staley. He knows. He knows all. He does. Coming up, we'll hit more headlines. That's just around the corner and charges uh, filed on Alec Baldwin. We've got details there, reaction to it on Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360. Ted, this story with Alec Baldwin, it feels like this happened like five years ago to me. 2021 is when he was on the set of Rust, and he claims he cocked the gun. He still maintains he never pulled the trigger. Cocked the gun that killed cinematographer uh, uh, on set there where he thought there were dummy rounds and instead there were live rounds. And he's been charged with involuntary manslaughter. He faces 18 months in prison based on this. He's also filed a countersuit saying that he was falsely blamed or there was too much blame 
put his way based on all of the procedures that should have been in place. It's a tough deal because it was clearly an accident, an uh, awful one at that. Uh, and it, it does feel like it's been going on forever. When yeah. I hear Alec Baldwin, it feels like for the last four or five years, the first thing I think about is this issue mm-hmm. on the movie Rust where someone he killed someone. Someone died. Now, I, I, I've never acted in an action movie. I have seen and heard other actors saying, yeah, that's not really the protocol that you follow, that that could happen. People that have handled weapons, mm-hmm. movie weapons all the time, being in, in action movies or shows, that there is a way to go about it if you know guns that you can very clearly check if there's live rounds or not before you even point it. And the armorer who's that, on set has also been charged with the same. Yeah, and th- I think that's where most of the responsibility probably goes is whoever's responsible for the weapons on set and, and putting them out there. But I, I think it was, I want to say George Clooney maybe was saying, I, I always double check. Even when they hand it to me before mm-hmm. I point it at anyone because he knows how to shoot weapons, he'll look down if he's doing a movie. Matt Damon, I think, said it also. And we'll look to see if there's but make also sure like, it's dummy rounds and not something's going to kill know, the, somebody. The, the question: and it, Someone put live rounds in the dummy round box, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the central question that has yet to be answered, and all that. It's really unfortunate. I, I feel obviously awful for the woman's family. Yeah, um, I feel bad for Alec Baldwin. I feel. I mean, it, it, who did that? Of what was there malice involved? Is this right. just is this just incompetence? Or is this something that was intended to happen from someone? And last year, Baldwin was also named in the wrongful death suit filed by uh, the family of the cinematographer. Um, And her husband, the cinematographer's husband, said recently that the suit had been settled. So that part is behind him, but now he's facing these charges. Official today, full story at outkick.com. Um, headlines when we return, including hiring and firing across the NFL. That and continues. a longtime college basketball coach is going to hang it up at the end of the year. We'll talk about that. Yeah, big news. We've got details there, plus one big thing on every NFL game a bit later in hour number three. Hang with us. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody across the Outkick Network.